the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. It's time now for a smart plane talk regarding politics, Israel, and the law. This is the Victory Hour with Andrew Parker of Parker Daniels Keyboard. Wise counsel, winning results. Now, here's your host, Andrew Parker. I'm impressed with my attorney, Bernie. I'm impressed with his influential friends. He's got very big connections, and I follow his direction. It's Sunday, 4 o'clock, and that means it's the best hour of radio in the week. It is the Victory Hour. I'm Andrew Parker, and each week we talk politics, Israel, and the law. And over the last many weeks, as you know, we have focused on Israel, the really the existential threat to the state of Israel in many respects, depending on how this war in the Middle East turns. And it is a war that is at the cutting edge of civilized society as Israel fights the war for all of us about uh, a fight between light and darkness, a fight between good and evil, a fight for humanity. And today we are very fortunate to have a special guest, someone who I have followed for many years, her uh, writings, as she is one of the most knowledgeable anywhere regarding the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, the Arab-Israeli conflict. And she comes to us from just outside of, uh, not far, of course nothing is far in Israel, uh, Jerusalem, uh, Israel, former assistant foreign policy advisor, former IDF defense ministry captain, author, columnist. She's written a couple of books, The Israeli Solution, A One-State Plan for Peace in the Middle East. A provocative title, a book that you need to pick up and read to learn about the background and history and the direction that we should go as we wring our hands uh, in concern about what to do to get to peace in the Middle East. Also, author of the book Shackled Warrior, Israel and the Global Jihad. She is a graduate of the Harvard University. Yes, indeed, Harvard University, that paragon of truth and justice in the world. Harvard University Kennedy School of Government. I wonder whether our guest is going to turn back her Master's of Public Policy to Harvard. We may ask her that. Uh, one time, uh, and uh, also current columnist 
posts on the uh, Jerusalem Post as she was the newspaper's deputy managing editor some years ago and uh, senior columnist. She's the paper's most widely read columnist. And she has covered the U.S. She covered the U.S.-led invasion of Iraq. Yes, she was embedded. She knows uh, warfare, not just as a captain uh, in the IDF, but on the journalist side, often uh, published as a journalist in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, National Review, and many others, including uh, Commentary Magazine. Our special guest today, Carolyn Glick. Carolyn, thank you so much for joining us on the Victory Hour. Thank you, Andrew. I just want to make a little bit of an update on that biography that you read off, which is just that uh, for some time now, I've been the senior contributing editor at uh, Jewish News Syndicate, oh, or yes. JNS.org, and uh, also the host of my own podcast, The Carolyn Glick Show. People can tune in. You know, I I, uh, I have that here, and JNS, which <laughs> is uh, Jonathan Tobin, was on the show just a few weeks ago, uh, and uh, we had an, an just a wonderful uh, talk, and JNS is such an important uh, news contributor and and a place that everyone can go to get updates. And Carolyn Glick is uh, the senior contributing editor at uh, the JNS, and we'll talk more about Carolyn's uh, podcast as we roll through the show today. Carolyn, I want to turn directly to uh, the war in Israel, uh, the focus of the world, really. Uh, October 7th changed the world. It certainly changed Israel. It changed the life of every caring Jew in the world. Uh, And people still wonder, here certainly in this country, in the United States, who is Hamas? They have heard of Hamas, certainly, but who are they really? And who is it that engaged in this uh, inhumane, barbaric butchery on October 7th? However, some say it's just uh, freedom fighters uh, attacking those that are oppressing them. Who is Hamas? Thanks for that question. It's important uh, to really understand this fundamental. So Hamas is um, a terrorist organization. It's an organization of jihad. It uh, was founded in 1988 as the Palestinian branch of the uh, of the Muslim Brotherhood, which was founded in Egypt in 1928 to pursue uh, jihad or Islamic holy war against uh, non-believers in the Middle East and throughout the world. Uh, The Muslim Brotherhood is a progenitor of many, many, many Islamic uh, terrorist organizations, including, uh, but not limited to, Al-Qaeda. Most of the Pakistani jihadist organizations are also uh, Muslim Brotherhood organizations. So Hamas was established in 1988 to be that organization. And and one of the Palestinians here, And one of the things you have to understand about the Muslim Brotherhood is that it's not just straight terrorism. It's uh, what's called in in, uh, Arabic dawah, which is proselytization through charity and other works so that they build a network of welfare organizations that help uh, impoverished people. But at the same time that they may be providing food packages, they're providing 
uh, Islamic jihad, uh, jihadist uh, indoctrination to uh, uh, transform entire societies into jihadist societies that are organized around the concept of uh, total war, genocidal war, uh, and savagery against anybody who doesn't either practice Islam the way that uh, the Muslim Brotherhood thinks that they should, or people who are not Muslims. And so Hamas was at its founding, and, and you see in its uh, covenant, in its uh, founding document from 1988, that they cite uh, Quranic scriptures of Islam uh, to uh, commit itself to the physical annihilation of the state of Israel and the genocide of Jews uh, in Israel, all Jews in Israel and uh, throughout the world. So it's an organization that is expressly, uh, uh, it, that exists specifically for the goal of annihilating the Jewish people and the Jewish state. And they've used their dawah, their uh, welfare network, to win over the hearts and minds of the Palestinians. Not that it was difficult because Palestinian society itself has always organized itself around the principle of annihilating Israel, but that's a separate issue. But because of the dawah and the Islamic um, the Islamic commitment of Hamas members and leaders, um, they over time became the most popular uh, group in Palestinian society, not only in the Gaza Strip where they were founded, but also in Judea and Samaria, uh, otherwise known as the West Bank. Uh, and in Jerusalem, so that among, uh, and 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 there are also Muslim Brotherhood sister organizations uh, in in Israel proper, in, in Jerusalem, in the Galilee, in the Negev, that are aligned with Hamas because they are also Muslim Brotherhood organizations. So it's the most powerful social force in Arab Muslim society uh, west of the Jordan River, they're also extremely powerful in, in Jordan and in other countries, but uh, they see themselves as part of a global Islamic movement of the Muslim Brotherhood. Their specific goal as the Palestinian chapter of the Muslim Brotherhood is to annihilate Israel and the Jewish people, but they have they don't seek specifically a Palestinian state such as it is. They seek to develop a caliphate on the destruction of Israel uh, that will be part of a global caliphate of like-minded jihadists who will rule the world. We are talking to Carolyn Glick, author, columnist, uh, one-time captain in uh, the IDF, uh, which, uh, you know, the work that you have done in support of Israel and you continue to do to this day uh, I'm I'm just so proud to uh, to have you on the show today. We're talking about Thanks. Hamas. We're talking about, uh, and Carolyn just talked about the covenant of Hamas, 1988, created, revised in 2017, and that covenant proclaims that Israel will exist until Islam obliterates it. Jihad against Jews is required until Judgment Day according to Hamas's own covenant, covenant, written. You can read it for yourselves. Go online, pull up the covenant of Hamas. Again, revised recently in just the last few years, not changed for more moderation whatsoever. 
Compromise over the land is forbidden, and the documents promote holy war as divinely ordained. That's who we're talking about in terms of who attacked on October 7th. These are not freedom fighters. And when we come back on the other side of this short break with Carolyn Glick, we're going to talk about what was Gaza under the thumb of Hamas during the last many years since Arek Sharon turned over lock, stock, and barrel, removing Jews from their homes of decades from Gaza and giving it to the Palestinians. What has life been like uh, in uh, Gaza under the leadership of Hamas? We'll be back after this short break. You're listening to the Victory Hour. Special guest today, Carolyn Glick. Make sure to stay with us. We're back. It's the Victory Hour. I'm Andrew Parker. We are joined today by special guest Carolyn Glick, senior contributing editor of the Jewish News Syndicate. You recall Jonathan Tobin was on a few weeks ago. Alex Trayman was on just a couple of weeks ago. And the Jewish News Syndicate covering the war in the Middle East and much, much more uh, related to uh, the Jewish state, the single and only Jewish state in the world, the state of Israel. Uh, Carolyn, I wanted to turn to the history, the background of this area called Gaza. Many people don't know, what, it, what are we talking about? And where, what is it a part of? Is it a part of any particular country? Uh, are, are the Jews the indigenous people of the area of Gaza. I speak often about the fact that there is no question that the Jews are the indigenous people of the state of Israel. And any question or doubt about that, about this idea that the Jews are occupying someone else's land, needs to be laid to rest because it's a lie. It is an unadulterated lie. And it has been propagated by Yasser Arafat and even before, but certainly by him uh, 60 years ago and leading up to where we are today. Uh, but the land, you know, the, the land we're talking about in terms of Gaza and how did Hamas get there uh, leading up to October 7th? Give us uh, some background. Um, so you're right. Uh, there's a long history of uh, the Jewish community in Gaza um, going back uh, really since biblical times. I mean, Gaza was the land of the Philistines for a long time. And um, there was always, uh, there were always Jews going back and forth and also living there. And then uh, after uh, the rise of Christianity, there was a large and thriving Jewish community in Gaza, many synagogues in Gaza, um, and some very important works of uh, rabbinical and other literature were written in Gaza that are still read today. Um, so you're right, there's a long history of Jewish settlement in Gaza. Um, 
At any rate, uh, in, in when Israel was established in 1948, beforehand, we already had communities in Gaza, like one uh, in particular called uh, Kfar Darom, that was overrun by the Egyptian army uh, in the War of Independence and their invasion of Israel. Um, and then after uh, the Six-Day War, uh, when Israel... Uh, 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 um, when Israel took control over the Gaza Strip, um, and uh, the uh, the uh, leadership of Israel under the Labor Party at the time recognized the importance of uh, of Gaza from a strategic perspective, even though at the time Israel already controlled the Sinai as well, um, in terms of. Uh, maintaining Israel's control over the seacoast, blocking uh, blockades, and also um, blocking any advance of the Egyptian army. Uh, so they uh, not only built it up uh, from a military perspective, but they also built uh, civilian communities uh, in the southern Gaza Strip and also in the northern Gaza Strip abutting uh, the city of Ashkelon. Uh, and they rebuilt Kfar Darom uh, that was destroyed in 1948. Um, Israel ruled Gaza as they ruled uh, as it's ruled uh, Judea and Samaria uh, under a military government because they weren't quite sure what they wanted to do, although the tendency of the leadership was to annex it to Israel proper. Um, but uh, over time, and particularly beginning with the establishment of Hamas in the late 1980s, uh, Gaza became uh, progressively more radicalized uh, and a hub of jihadist terrorism against Israel, the suicide bombings that Israel began to see after we brought in the PLO to rule as a self-governing authority in Gaza and Judea and Samaria under the uh, failed Oslo peace process, which began in 1994, uh, saw Gaza becoming a hub for suicide bombings and bombers uh, that emanated from Gaza, some of the early suicide bombings that Israel suffered in the 1990s emanated from Gaza. Um, and uh, so we had, uh, Gaza was seen as a very harsh nest of jihadist terrorism. And um, in 2005, or really it was in 2003, Ariel Sharon, who was the prime minister at the time, embraced the view of the left that the real way to handle Gaza was just to give it up, uh, that there was nothing to do with it, that we didn't want to uh, go into a massive war against the jihadists. It was a strategy of, uh, of unilateral withdrawal, um, but that's what he opted for for various reasons. None of them had any strategic wisdom to them. And 18 years ago, Israel removed all the communities that had built since the 1970s in Gaza, expelled 8,000 of its citizens who lived in them, and uh, destroyed them. They even exhumed the bodies of, of Jews who were buried in Gaza and, and reinterned them in Jerusalem and handed the entire area over to the PLO-led Palestinian Authority. But since Hamas has long been the most powerful and popular faction in Palestinian society, first Hamas won the general elections in 2006 for the Palestinian parliament, and then the following year, they uh, conducted a short but very, very vicious murderous assault against uh, PA forces and ousted them in June of 2007. So since 2007, Hamas has been in full control over Gaza. Uh, and um, rather than cut them off, 
the PA, the Palestinian Authority, which now exists only in Judea and Samaria, continues to fund them. Um, since uh, Hamas took over in 2007, it's built up a, a very large uh, military capability, particularly in, in everything to do with, with missiles and mortars and rockets. When Israel left Gaza, Palestinian terrorists had the capacity to shoot primitive rockets about 20 kilometers inside of Israeli territory that tended to blow up without causing a lot of damage because they were very primitive. And now they have the uh, missile capabilities of hitting uh, most of Israeli territory, over 6 million Israelis live of the missiles from Gaza today. Um, in addition, uh, they built a massive underground uh, tunnel complex where they keep uh, all of their material and their command and control centers that's larger than the New York subway system. And, larger uh, than New York so subway system. That. It's just, uh, I mean, it's it's amazing. And but but people, you know, you hear the hue and the cry of, well, this attack on October 7th, Israel had it coming. They deserved it because of the way in which they treated the poor Palestinian people living in Gaza. They established a blockade. They they, they engaged in actions that an occupying force would engage in. Uh, and what do you say to the to these people that uh say that Israel uh, deserved this, and in fact, uh, they have uh, created the despair that exists uh, in Gaza. Uh, That's just pure nonsense. I mean, Israel hasn't controlled any aspect of life in Gaza since 2005, and the truth is that the Palestinians ruled themselves in Gaza, and Israel was absent from all the territory of Gaza since 1994 with the establishment of the Palestinian Authority in Gaza. So um, the reason why Israel left in 2005, in fact, was because uh, Ariel Sharon uh, decided that that the price that Israel would have to pay for defeating the terror forces in Gaza from a strategic perspective in terms of loss of Western support under the Bush administration uh, was was too high, and that... uh, might as well just cut our losses and leave because the Bush administration was becoming increasingly hostile to Israel's military operations against the Palestinians, even though they were engaged in a uh, jihad against Israel since 2000. So, but the Americans had become bugged down in Iraq, and you had a lot of people in in the U.S. Uh, national security establishment that were blaming Israel for Israel for America's problems in Iraq, even though there was no connection whatsoever to the extent that the United States was able to extricate itself from the morass and found itself in rockets because Israeli trainers came to Fort Bragg and taught U.S. special forces in particular, but not only uh, um, urban warfare, uh, counter-terror operations, tactics uh, that they simply didn't have knowledge of on a tactical level. But uh, be that as it may, Israel was becoming increasingly the the, uh, scapegoat for blaming America's uh, military a drawback or setbacks in Iraq on. And so Sharon, who didn't really know how to handle American pressure, decided to just drop the tone thinking that once Israel left, uh, the United States and obviously the rest, because Americans are the least hostile force in the international community towards Israel. And I think his idea was basically that if we just left, 
people would leave us alone and stop blaming us for problems that were caused entirely by our enemies uh, in the Palestinian Authority and Hamas and Islamic Jihad and, and whatnot. Um, but the exact opposite occurred, as people like myself warned at the time, because uh, the reason that people were holding Israel responsible wasn't because we were responsible, it was because they were anti-Israel. And so that continued on after we left. And uh, all of the hardships that the, that the people of Gaza have experienced in terms of prosperity, in terms of uh, um, use of their territory uh, by terrorist organizations to which uh, illegal wars against Israel, um, they're entirely the fault of the people in Gaza for supporting Hamas, for voting for Hamas, for joining Hamas, etc. Um, but uh, the same international community that blamed Israel before continued to blame Israel and pretended that Israel was still in control of Gaza, even though we we had left and we had even expelled all of our citizens uh, from Gaza and and took away their homes. Um, so you know this is this is uh, this is just the nature of the beast, and and I think that Ariel Sharon was very short-sighted in many ways. One of them was that he thought that there was some rationale behind the hostility against Israel, and that if we do certain things, that we could end it. But it, like you said, we were blamed for everything. We continue to be blamed, even though we we Gaza is the first time essentially that since 2005 the Palestinians have been sovereign over any territory there was never a state of Palestine that was replaced by Israel it was a uh, part of the Ottoman Empire and then uh, a British mandatory territory but there was never a state of Palestine in fact there was never a people that called themselves the Palestinian people until uh the 1960s. So yes, um, and in terms, the whole thing is a fiction. Yeah, it, it is. The whole thing is a fiction. Uh, and in terms of uh, this idea of refugees, of Palestinians coming back to their land or their country, it is an entire fiction. What is not a fiction right. is the Jewish refugees that were kicked out of the entire Arab world virtually. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions, and they were all taken in by the Israelis. You don't see that anywhere in the fiction of the Palestinian uh, people. Oh, how terrible it is that you talk that way, Parker. You shouldn't be saying such things about the Palestinians. Well, that's simply historic fact. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't treat them with dignity, etc., and the Jewish people always attempt to do that. And on the other side of this break, we are going to talk about how Israel uh, has to defend itself and how it, in a most, the most ethical and moral way, conducts warfare, contrary to the storyline that you hear. We're talking to Carolyn Glick, columnist, author, uh, editor of, uh, senior contributing editor of the Jewish News syndicate and we'll be right back after this short break we're learning something today no doubt about it carolyn glick will be with us stay with us <clears throat> we're back i'm andrew parker Thank you for joining us today for this all-important 
episode of the Victory Hour. We're joined by senior contributing editor of the Jewish News Syndicate and longtime scholar regarding Israel, the Arab-Israeli conflict, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Uh, that's Carolyn Glick. Uh, Carolyn, it is uh, difficult to talk about how right you really were, as Carolyn Glick has been shouting from the rooftops for really decades about the reality of not just the Muslim Brotherhood, but uh, those in the Middle East since the War of Independence creating or reestablishing, I should say, uh, the Jewish state of Israel. Uh, And since that time, the concept of land for peace has had a couple of instances that certainly have worked over the years. Uh, But the changing attitude and the use of the Palestinians as a pawn in this uh, destructive conflict really leads you to one answer, and that is uh, strength. Strength will result in peace. And absent strength, what you see is bloodshed in some of the worst kind, which is what we saw since the Holocaust, the worst single day in Jewish existence, October 7th. Horrific. And in response, the Israelis have launched a war, have announced war. War was brought to the Israelis, who simply want peace. You know as well or better than anyone, uh, Carolyn, uh, about how Israel conducts war like the one that they are engaged in today. People are saying that it's a genocide. Israel is conducting genocide against the Palestinian people. What say you? I mean, it's just a blood libel. There's no truth to that statement whatsoever. The side that's conducting the genocide is Hamas. It's a genocidal organization. It's a genocidal organization. The Palestinians are a genocidal society. There was just a uh, poll published by Birzeit University in Ramallah uh, last Thursday. I wrote a column about it. You can read it uh, at jns.org or on my uh, website, carolynglick.com, called What Do the Palestinians Want?, And um, they say very clearly that what they want is a genocide of Israel. Um, 75% of Palestinians, 88%, by the way, from Judea and Samaria, and 60% from Gaza support the October 7th slaughter. Who who did this, Carolyn? I'm sorry to to interrupt. Who did this uh, survey? Beersait University, which is a which is a Palestinian university outside the city of Ramallah, okay, and uh, it's um, it it was actually a very statistically credible uh, survey because it was based on face to face interviews with Palestinians 
from uh, uh, all over uh, Judea and Samaria, and also from Gaza. They interviewed people in three different points in southern Gaza, including people who had been evacuated, who had evacuated from northern Gaza since uh, the Israeli ground operation began there three weeks ago. So this was a very statistically credible um, survey. And what they found was that three, three quarters of the Palestinians uh, support uh, the uh, slaughter of October 7th. And, and just to be clear, the slaughter of October 7th wasn't just a terrorist attack. It was an act of genocide. It was an, it was a genocidal attack where the goal was uh, to statistically murder every Jew that they could find. And they've killed uh, at least 1,200 uh, uh, Israelis and others who were with Israel. Um, they engaged in mass brutal rape of women and sexual violence against other victims, um, which are also, according to the Genocide Convention, um, they burn people alive. I mean, we can go through the litany of things that they did, and they also are holding 236 uh, Israelis captive in Gaza, uh, um, over uh, half of them are women. And over 40 of them are children. Uh, some of them is, as, as some of them are infants. Um, so all of these are acts of genocide carried out by the Hamas, and those acts of genocide are supported by three quarters of the Palestinians. Um, moreover, the survey asked what kind of solution they see for the long term uh, in terms of their relationship with Israel, and they were offered the prospects of annihilating Israel. It's called. Uh, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be seen, will be free, which means eliminating Israel physically uh, along with its people. That's a call for genocide or a one-state solution, which would be some sort of a Arab-Jewish uh, um, state or a two-state solution of a Palestinian state standing next to the Jewish state, which is what the Biden administration insists is it must be the be-all and end-all of American policy towards Israel and the Palestinians. So there were about 17% of the Palestinians support the two-state solution. That's less than one in five. 5.4% support uh, a one-state solution where there would be no Jewish state anymore and it would be an Arab-Jewish state. But 75% support the annihilation of Israel and um, as their goal. That's what they want. So uh, by every by every measure, this is a society that defines itself by its design for genocide of Jewry. And then while denying this, and the Palestinian Authority actually posted a statement this week, which where they attacked Israel and said that Hamas didn't perpetrate the slaughter of terrorists, that it actually Israel killed its own people, uh, which is you know just uh, one of the many conspiracy theories that you've also heard on college campuses in the United States by Hamas supporters who support the annihilation of Jews, not only in Israel, but around the world, which is why they're targeting Jews in the United States on their campuses and on the streets of the cities in the United States and, and throughout Europe. Um, so they first deny that Hamas did anything wrong, even though they support what Hamas did. They revel in it. In fact, they celebrate it, which is something else we've seen in places mentioned by Harvard and Columbia. Right. I mean, I would not only would I, I never send a child of mine there, I, I would never actually um, hire anybody who graduated from those uh, those uh, schools unless they could prove to me actual action against these jihadists on their campuses at this point. But having said that, um, 
you know, they 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 said on October 7th, while people were still being slaughtered, 30 uh, organizations at Harvard uh, attacked Israel and blamed Israel for what they were doing. So that's what the uh, Palestinian Authority published this week. But they also support Hamas. And so uh, they are accusing Israel of carrying out genocide when anybody with eyes in his head can see that it's they who are genocidal and they're projecting their own crimes against humanity and specifically crimes against the Jewish people on their victims. And and to their great shame, many actors in the international communities are supporting their blood libels and um, doing nothing uh, to pressure anybody uh, to bring about just first and foremost, uh, the freeing of the hostages. You know, people see on their uh, television screens every night as broadcast by the mainstream media, uh, the destruction by the IDF of uh, very densely populated areas in Gaza. And they, uh, they couple that with the cry of genocide by the Israelis, and they view the Israeli war machine as having no caring for civilians. How does the IDF conduct this type of very, very difficult warfare because it's coupled not just with the density but with the hundreds of miles of tunnels, as you've described? Well, I mean, Israel called already from the outset for the civilians around Hamas as uh, military infrastructures in the north, which we're targeting, the first to evacuate. And uh, it we waited for a long time for them to evacuate. And then um, Hamas, and when they finally started evacuating down to the south, where Israel uh, is enabling them to move through humanitarian corridors, uh, they've been actually shot, and it's been captured on film, by Hamas terrorists who are trying to prevent the civilians, such as they are in Gaza, from from leaving because they don't view, and they've said it themselves. The leaders of Hamas have said on 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 video since since October seventh that the purpose mm-hmm. of the Palestinian people is to protect the jihadist fighters. Uh, by the way, is in line with uh, the jihadist military doctrine that everybody has to join, and so some people uh, are supposed to be uh, fighting, or they're supposed to be terrorists, or supposed to be actually killing, engaged in killing. And others are supposed to be supporting them, in, whether through raising money for them, buying them arms, giving them food, or acting as human shields. So from the jihadist perspective, there is no civilian population in Gaza. And given the depth of the public support for Hamas, uh, most people in Gaza and the overwhelming majority of people in Judea and Samaria agree with them, that uh, they are a fully mobilized society. But even under these circumstances, Israel has been allowing these Hamas supporters to evacuate out of the battlegrounds. One of the biggest problems is that Egypt and other countries are refusing, Egypt first and foremost, is refusing to allow them to leave the Gaza Strip. And uh, by doing that, uh, Egypt, supported by the United States and and governments throughout the world, is actually most responsible from an outside perspective. Obviously, Hamas is the most responsible, but it's these, uh, but it's Egypt and other countries who are blocking them from evacuating from the Gaza Strip in war um, that are causing the humanitarian crisis, such as it is in Gaza, because they're not allowing people to leave. And we have to remember that over 10 million Ukrainians have left Ukraine 
since Russia invaded. And every war zone in the world, whether it's Afghanistan or Iraq or the Syrian civil war or anywhere else, have seen refugees flowing out temporarily uh, or permanently in times of war to leave war zones. And the only people who aren't allowed to flee the war zone in this case are are the people of Gaza. And by the way, we should be very clear that Israel evacuated its own people from the border communities, both in the south and in the north, where they're facing a similar threat from Hezbollah-controlled Lebanon. We have over 200,000 internal refugees now being um, being being uh, put up in 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 hotels and Airbnbs throughout Israel at the expense of uh, Israeli taxpayers because we take care of our own. But when you're living in a war zone, uh, your best bet is to leave. And, and it's far, it's far different. Yes, it's far different in uh, the Arab world uh, as they don't take care no, of. No, only when you're fighting Jews. That's right. Only when, only you're, when you're fighting Israel. Jews. When you're fighting Jews, it's different. And by the way, uh, there is no rape of a Jewish woman. No. If it's a Jewish woman that's raped, that's not rape. You don't see any women's organizations screaming uh, from the rooftops about what happened on October 7th. Why is that? You don't see any gay rights organizations screaming uh, about what happened. We're going to come back after this short break and continue our discussion uh, with Carolyn Glick as we're going to talk more about the asymmetry, about the uh, anti-Semitism that is so blatant in not just the coverage, but the response uh, to this war, unlike any other. And I want to underscore before we uh, leave that Israel drops leaflets, alerts through numerous means, four or five different means, before they drop bombs. Who does that, telling your enemy what you're going to do before you do it? Why do they do it? Because of humanitarian concerns. And these are humanitarian concerns over people that support those that butchered Jews on October 7th. But yet there still is humanitarian concerns. And that's what the IDF does. And they go through a process that you can't believe. Five or six different steps that they have to get approval before they drop uh, a bomb or, or, or take fire. That's how the IDF conducts warfare to protect casualties. But Egypt closes the door. We'll be back talking to Carolyn Glick, senior contributing editor of the Jewish News Syndicate and as learned on the issues of the Arab-Israeli conflict, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict of anyone, uh, frankly, that I, that I know. And we very much appreciate her being with us on the Victory Hour. Make sure to stay with us. One more segment. We're back. It's the Victory Hour. I'm Andrew Parker, joined by my special guest, Carolyn Glick. Carolyn, uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, the French uh, Prime Minister came out uh, in support of uh, ceasefire. Shocking! Uh, the, the leaders and kings of surrender and capitulation uh, and collaboration of the French come out for a ceasefire. 
and uh, calling for it, as well as many others have. Uh, what are the thoughts? Uh, what are your thoughts regarding uh, a ceasefire in this war? Well, as we record this show, uh, Israel is poised to actually agree to a temporary ceasefire in order to secure the uh, release of some of the children that are being held hostage. I, I, I personally think it's a mistake, but um, I understand the impulse because it's just impossible to have children um, being held by these monsters. Having said that, it's also clear that if Israel doesn't, at the end of the ceasefire, reinstate its military operations uh, on, on behalf of the goal of annihilating Hamas, then uh, our, we're not going to be secure in our homes anywhere in Israel because what we experienced on October 7th was an attack of such magnitude and such barbarism. Uh, if if we allow Hamas to survive after what they've done, um, we're inviting further aggression. So while I understand the impulse and I and I sympathize and, and indeed empathize with it uh, for agreeing to a ceasefire in order to secure the release of our children, um, we have to be very clear that this cannot be the end of the story because uh, regardless of what the French prime minister thinks, you know, we actually have to win. This isn't a war That's right. by choice. This is a war for national survival. It is an existential war. The Jewish people uh, rely on it. Frankly, humanity relies on the Jews uh, taking care of what they must. Carolyn Glick, thank you very much for joining us on the Victory Hour uh, this week. It was absolutely wonderful to speak with you. Go to Carolyn Glick's podcast, find it, and uh, you're going to learn a lot more about what's real, what's true in the Middle East conflict. Coming up in the next few weeks, Selena Zito will be on the Victory Hour, and we look forward to talking with her. Until then, have a great week. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.